just as a refresher of what you saw in the short video, is that we are life-breathed, we are designed, every part of us was designed by God. We were created with delight and joy. We were spoken into existence the same way that God said, let it be light, let it be the seas, you know, everything. He spoke us into existence. And he empowered us with purpose and destiny and a future. He has a plan for each one of us. And we are counted, no matter our background, whatever it might be, where we are in life, anything, we are counted by God. He looks at, at us and he counts us. We are covered by his grace. We have been given salvation. We are sanctified. What a beautiful thing to think that you and I have been sanctified by the Lord. We have been set apart. Um, th there is... If we could say there is even a reverence and an honor when God sees us, that's what he sees. He, he loves his creation. He loves each one of us. And then we saw at the end with the verse of Psalm 139 that he sees us. He's always seen us. Even before the foundation of the world, he saw us. He saw you. He saw me. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that, that should, we should all be leaping with joy in understanding how God sees each one of us, his creation. Uh, last Sunday, and some churches this Sunday, we're celebrating the Sanctity of Life Sunday. Uh, that has been celebrated or is being celebrated by thousands of churches across the land. And uh, I looked where the... How did this start? It started with President Reagan. Uh, not the March for Life, which is another event that happens every year as an, and the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, that has been happening right before, uh, right after uh, Roe versus Wade. Uh, but this, uh, the Sanctity of Life Sunday was an initiative of President Reagan. In, uh, that was on January 13, 1984. He designated January 10, 20, uh, 22nd of, of 18, sorry, 1988, 84, sorry, as the first Sanctity of Life Sunday. And what he wanted, that was, he, he said that it was the 11th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. And uh, he was a pro-life president. And he said that that law, Roe versus Wade of the Supreme Court, struck down laws that served the purpose of protecting the lives of unborn children. Because, you know, abortion became uh, a possibility, ab abortion on demand, throughout the 50 states. And after Reagan, there have been three pro-life presidents who have also made proclamations regarding Sanctity of Life Sunday. That's just a little bit of history there. And I understand that the issue of abortion is very controversial. And it's not only controversial in the secular world, it's also controversial within the church. I know there are many different opinions. Uh, people are in different uh, states of, of thinking about, uh, in their opinions about what abortion is, if it should be legalized or not. 
And I know that in a congregation, there's, there's always, there's people who have had abortions, there are people who might be planning an abortion. Uh, you know, the people are in different uh, states of li or stages of life and, and different opinions regarding what abortion is and it should be legalized or not. So I understand it's a very complex topic and we could talk about it hours and hours and never uh, even get to the surface of the, of the topic because it was, it's so deep and has so many ramifications in all of society. And I come today with a humble heart, a heart of humility and a heart of understanding of the issue and, and the stress and the pain that it causes. Uh, so it's, uh, it's something that I've, uh, through the years, have uh, meditated a lot about and, and tried to make myself know what's going on in regard to the issue. And, and also, I have been able to minister to people in different uh, stages of, of life in terms of, uh, you know, crisis pregnancies, having had an abortion, planning to have an abortion. Uh, so I, it, it's, a, it's a topic that is dear to me, and it should be something that we all consider, uh, each one of us, uh, to, you know, to think about it, meditate about it, and, you know, and, and grow in understanding of the issue. And I will begin giving you some facts. It's just very um, facts that, that are common knowledge about abortion in the United States. And I also want to then invite you to consider three viewpoints uh, from which we can explore the issue of abortion and the value of the unborn child. So that's my purpose this morning. So, you know, as we begin, we, uh, the purpose is, also, of course, to choose life. And as, as I said already, January 22nd of 1973, uh, it, the Roe versus Wade was approved in the United States, and it legalized abortion on demand. And two days ago, just Friday, marked the 48th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. And from that time on, there has been an approximate 62 million babies aborted just in the United States. It doesn't mean that abortion started then. It had been legalized, uh, let's say, in New York for, for, I think, three years prior to this, to 1973. And it has it's been around, you know, for, uh, I think, since... Mankind has been mankind. For many thousands of years, it's been a, a reality of the world, abortion. Of course, not in the scale that we have seen it in the past years, but it has been part of humanity. And according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, you know, uh, known as the CDC, in the statistics that we have are from uh, 2018. There were about... 619,591 6, abortions in the United States uh, in, in that year alone, because we don't have statistics you know, after that, which is an average about uh, 1,700 abortions per day. And, but people, many organizations estimate this number to being much larger 
because the states are not obligated to give the CDC uh, their statistics in terms of abortions performed in their states. So it, it, it's likely that it's a lot more, you know, closer to probably between that number and a million per year. They have gone down, which is a good thing, but there are still too many. And one is too many, of course. And an interesting fact that I found out is that worldwide, abortion was the leading cause of death in 2020, which was, you know, the year of the pandemic. And there were 42.8 million abortions that, that we're talking worldwide, not, not in the United States, but across the world, 42.8 million abortions. And you know, to contrast that with 1.8 million deaths by COVID-19. Uh, so it, it was the, definitely the leading cause of death worldwide, you know, on top of cancer and many other uh, diseases that exist in the world. And I want to share with you two uh, examples of aggressive efforts that have expanded the legalization of abortion rights. And one was in New York, the state of New York, and the other one was right here. You know, the, it was enacted very close to us, you know, in, in Boston. And if looking at the, the one in New York, that was the New York Reproductive Health Act, and that was passed on January 22nd, the same day that Roe versus Wade, it was the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, um, and among, you know, it's, it's, uh, it has many provisions, but I'm, I'm going just to highlight a few. One was that abortion was deleted from the penal code. So what does that mean? It means that if a fetus dies as a result of an assault uh, on their mother, the abuser will not be prosecuted for the death of the baby, only, you know, for any for the abuse or, or, you know, of the mother, but not of the baby. That's one thing. Another thing that this law did was it codified uh, abortion, in, uh, abortion law in New York, meaning that there could, if, even if there were an overturn of abortion, of the abortion law permitting a, uh, abortion in the United States by the Supreme Court, they would still have legalized abortion in New York. Another thing is that in the event that the fetus survives the, the attempt to abort, they can be left to die without any care. Uh, it doesn't mean, the law doesn't say kill the baby, just to be clear, but it doesn't specify any provision for care of that infant born alive in a, to be brought, brought to health. And also, it has determined that if the physical or emotional health of the mother is compromised, and that's a very loose term, it could mean anything. If, if, her, if it's considered that you know, the, the mother or the medical doctor, whoever is performing, you know, is giving the, the counsel regarding abortion, uh, if, if it's... Uh, determined that the physical or emotional health of the mother is threatened, the fetus can be aborted, aborted even in the last few weeks of pregnancy. So it, it, in a way, it legalized abortion for the whole nine months. 
So, and, so that's just a few facts about that law in New York. And I, it's worth mentioning, I don't know if you can clearly see the, first, the previous one, Raquel. Um, that picture is a picture of the Senate of New York. And what happened was something that uh, it's worth mentioning because the position there is so radical uh, and intensive, insensitive, so, sorry, toward the unborn, and it's so bent toward um, advancing extreme reproductive rights of women that when the law, when, when the law passed and it was announced, all the Senate floor, all the members stood up and uh, clapped and cheered uh, of, you know, in response to the passing of the law. And not only that, but there was um, the governor, Governor Cuomo, he uh, uh, ordered that the lights of New York City's One World Trade Center and of many other uh, important um, city points to glow pink that night, you know, to, instead of their regular light, they would have a, a pink light in celebration of this historic victory for women's rights. Uh, and I, I don't know about you, but that was very painful to me to think that people elected by, you know, by a state would celebrate in such a way, you know, even even considering that there is, that means the sacrifice of millions of babies. And another example of aggressive abortion rights, as I said, happened just here, uh, very close to us, and that was the Roe Act. And as a matter of fact, I thought Roe was for Roe versus Wade, but it's what Roe stands for is an act to remove obstacles and expand access to abortion as if there weren't expanded enough. And that was passed this just this last uh, December. And among other things, it legalizes abortion, again, throughout the nine months to preserve the physical or mental health of the mother. And again, it's very loose terms, so it could be anything. It removes the previous requirements that legally force doctors to take care of a baby that was born alive from an abortion. Uh, again, it doesn't say kill the baby that was born alive, but it doesn't, it, there is no, it, it removed that clause that said that if a baby was born alive from an abortion, the baby should be cared for. So many are just left to die. And it also allows young girls as, as young as 16 years old to seek an abortion procedure without the consent or even the knowledge of their parents. So it's, it's a pretty radical agenda. And again, that happened here. There was a, a huge protest. Uh, people, you know, pastors, congregations sent letters. Uh, call, the legislators were called, but it, it was passed regardless of, you know, the opposition. So it's a, we're living in a in a country that is very aggressive and with the intent of even prom promoting even more, you know, the, the abortion in our land. And we know different, you know, we know that God commands us, uh, you can put the other one, in his word to choose life 
And what is life? You know, we saw in that short video. It comes as a gift to us. It's a gift. Uh, God created us with love and with delight. And it's a, life is a gift. And we receive life when we obey his commandments. You know, in, when, when we uh, seek him, uh, that brings life to us. And we are reminded of uh, words that from Moses, that God gave Moses to deliver to the people of Israel. And these are those words. That's Deuteronomy 30, uh, verses 19 and 20. And it says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. So the Lord loves his life, and he has instructed us, he has allowed us to be the protectors of life. And what I want to do now is to... Uh, see and explore three essential viewpoints on the sanctity of life. And, and those are God's heart. Basically, what does he say about the value of life? And secondly, the deception of the enemy that has advanced a culture of death. There is no doubt that uh, there has been an advancement of that culture of death. In, in many ways in our country. And, and the third viewpoint is, what is God's calling to us to respect and defend the unborn? So those are the three things I want us to think about in the next few minutes. So let's start with, what does God say about the value of life? That's, you know, that's the foundation, the beginning of all of this. And if we go to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, there it says, Genesis 1.27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. There's another verse that, that, you know, it says, In his image and likeness. So there is a lot of God in us. We are not gods. That's, that's a heresy. But, but God, there's the, his substance, I don't even know how to explain it, but, but there, the image and the likeness of God is in us. You know, the, he put it there on purpose. And then in Psalm 8, verses 4 and 6, it says, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. Isn't that a lot of purpose? And, and, and doesn't it say a lot about the value that God gives us as his creation? You know, he crowned us with glory and honor us, humanity, as fallen as we are, and made us rulers over the works of his hands so that we are to be protectors. 
you know, we, we talk a lot about environmental issues, right, about recycling, about protecting the natural resources. That is important, very important. But we also need to protect life, you know, human life, and do everything in our power because we are, from God's standpoint, we are rulers over the works of his hands. What an important purpose he has put in us as his children. And then there's another verse in Psalm 127 that says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offsprings a reward from him. Children are a reward from him. What a great value he gives to children. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man and the woman whose quiver is full of them. So, so you know, he, he places children in families uh, with love and with destiny in each one of them. And the other, uh, from the viewpoint of what God's heart is towards life, human life, there is that great truth that he knows us even before our birth. Isn't that amazing? He knows us, knows us even before we are born. What, what an amazing thing to, to think about. And I want to give you two examples from the Word of God. Uh, one is from Jeremiah, and the other one is from uh, John the Baptist when he was in his mom's womb. And that points to the evidence that, you know, he knows us. He, he's always known us. As a matter of fact, we were born in God's mind. That's where we were born first. He thought of us. Even before the foundation of the world, he thought of us. So he knows us. He's part of the process of our development from those times, you know, ago to the present. He, he has us in his mind. And in Jeremiah 1.5, it says, that's Jeremiah speaking. He says, before I formed you, in, or, or the Lord speaking to Jeremiah, sorry. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. What an amazing thing. He was a little boy when he received that word from God. But God had been thinking about him. God had given him the job of a prophet already. He had appointed him. The same thing with each one of us. He has appointed us uh, to, to something great in his kingdom. That's the God that we serve. He considers, he counts on us. So that's Jeremiah. And then the other example is in Luke uh, Luke 1, chapter 1, verses 41 and 44, and it says there, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, as you remember, you know, Mary knew that she was already with child and went to visit uh, her cousin Elizabeth, and so when she was approaching, you know, the, the, the home where Elizabeth lived, this is what happened. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, you know, the baby in her womb uh, leaped, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, again, you know, God considering someone who wasn't even born, but that had already been appointed by God to do, to do something in his kingdom. And then uh, Elizabeth said to Mary, that's verse 44, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, 
the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Why? Because it's God's creation and there's already purpose even before a child is born. And my, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 139, which you know, we saw a verse in that short uh, video. Psalm 139 ex beautifully expresses the, his presence, the presence of God, as he forms us in the womb. And these are the verses, uh, Psalm 139, verses 13, 15, and 16. For you created, and imagine that God is telling that, saying that to you this morning. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Isn't that amazing? Before anything happened, before even our mom knew that she was carrying us, God was already there forming us and, and putting purpose and destiny in each one of us, as we saw in that short video. Uh, in November uh, of 2014, an, expect, an unexpected window, uh, Raquel, if you could already you know, put that other, the next frame, in November of, can you stop it for a moment, please? Thank you. In November of 2014, uh, there was an unexpected window that opened for us as a family. And what we were able to see was God's handiwork in weaving together a baby outside of the womb. And what happened was that, uh, you know, from one day to the next, our daughter, our youngest daughter, got uh, gravely ill. You know, she was close to dying. And uh, thankfully, she re recovered very well. Uh, but an emergency section, she was pregnant uh, exactly uh, 25 weeks exactly. And uh, an emergency C-section had to happen. So that little baby weighing only one pound, three ounces, only 11 inches long, came outside of the womb. And when she was born, she was so unformed that she didn't even have the line where you would see uh, the shaping of the eyelid and that could eventually open and there for an eye to open and, and so that she could see. So it was, uh, she couldn't breathe on her own. She, there, just, you know, a very traumatic experience for the family and, and for, especially for our daughter and son-in-law. Uh, so it was... A, we were able to see how God shaped this little being, this precious baby, outside of the womb. And this is a very short video uh, of, of her in that stage. Right here, she's already about three weeks. So, thank you. 
There's no sound? So that's, that's Daniela, uh, and uh, there wasn't any sound to the short video, but what was happening was, of course, you know, uh, Abby was, you know, caressing the baby very gently because the, the skin was very, very, very fragile for a long time, and she was saying, I love you, baby, you are so precious to me. And so many times we declared Psalm 139 over her life. So that was what an, what an experience we had as a family to be able to see with our own eyes uh, what, it, what happens, what should happen inside the womb. But in that case, she was born before her time. And here, Daniela was 25 weeks, uh, 25 weeks there when she was born which is uh, considered a viability, is usually starts now around 24 months. But anyway, you know, there could be babies like that that, that have already a, a developed heart, that, are, that experience pain, that have been experiencing pain for a long time, that can be aborted in our country because of our laws. And the next picture, so that you know where Dan who Daniela is today, that's Daniela. Daniela just turned six. And she is a precious child. She's an artist. She paints about four hours every day, uh, colors, makes these beautiful, elaborate uh, drawings. She is so loving, is witty, has a, such a sense of, of humor. Uh, she's very sensitive toward people's needs. And, you know, what a, what a precious gift she has been to our family. And as, as we consider the next point, uh, uh, we already talked about the, the heart of God towards life. And now we're going to be talking a little bit about the deception of the enemy that is advancing a culture of death, not only through abortion, but in many other fronts. You know, the culture of death has advanced in our country very sadly. In John... 1010, it says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So he does the opposite of what Jesus came to do, which was to bring us life and life more abundantly. So the opposite uh, of, what, of Jesus' work is what, sorry, I'm, I'm having some issues here with this microphone, but okay. Hopefully, it, it's okay, right? Okay, thank you. So, the, the enemy of our souls has uh, sowed deception throughout the land, throughout the world, from the beginning. His aim, <coughs> excuse me, his aim has always been to destroy what God has created and what God loves and sustains. And, you know, there are many examples in the Bible of what, you know, how the enemy has tried to do that. Um, even, you know, think of uh, Moses. Moses had a, um, he had been called by God, you know, probably again from even before the foundation of the earth to do a work of being the liberator of the people of God. 
And what did Pharaoh try to do? He, he sent an edict that every child, every male, a Jewish male, should be killed. Uh, we know that he was saved because his mother was a brave woman, uh, a woman of vision, and said, this baby is not going to die. So, you know, it, from the beginning, the enemy of our souls has been trying to destroy what God loves. So that's, that's, not, that's not news. That's something that we know. And we remember Ephesians 6.12 that says, For our struggle is not against flesh, flesh, sorry, flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, you know, this is a spiritual issue. It is a spiritual issue. And, and our enemies are not the ones who do the abortions or the legislators. These are not, they are being used by the enemy, but they are not our enemies. Uh, but the, uh, our, the enemy is the enemy of our souls. So, you know, that's why this is a, it's a moral and a spiritual issue. And, of course, you know, it's not a political issue. Uh, uh, let me, and I'm going to explain that. Uh, just recently, when, when there was this uh, news that the Roe Act would be passed or would be presented to the legislature in December... Um, a pastor contacted uh, the Senate or, you know, a, a senator. I, I, I don't know the, those details. But he, he explained his position about the value of the unborn. And the answer that he received was, we don't have to listen to what you are saying because this is a political issue. And, of course, we, we know that it is a political issue as it pertains to being a voice in the political stage. Of course, it, it has a political component, but originally it's not a political issue. It is a moral and a spiritual issue, and, and that's something we, we should never forget. I remember years ago, I, I was talking to a coworker about uh, my position on, on the value of the unborn and, and against abortion. And she, uh, with an arrogant expression, said, but it is the law, you know. I mean, so, you know, be quiet. You don't have anything to say. It is legal in the United States, so that's, that's where it stands. But we need to continue uh, moving forward in declaring the truth of the gospel in, in that area and, and not be conformed to the world but just to, you know, do what God has called us to do. And in terms of this deception, there has been many lies and contradictions. There are many lies and contradictions in this area of, uh, you know, the pro-choice world. And the enemy has crafted many. I mean, we could speak hours of all the lies and deceptions that the enemy has uh, disseminated in this issue of the value of the unborn and abortion. And one is that a, a woman has a constitutional right to control her body, which gives her the option to freely destroy the baby developing in her womb. It, it's a constitutional uh, right, supposedly. And she can do this if she seems it 
inconvenient, you know, if this pregnancy is inconvenient. And again, I don't want to minimize the crisis that can happen when there is an unexpected uh, pregnancy. It, it, I, 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 I'm a woman. I know what being pregnant is. I know what delivering is. I, I, you know, there, it's, it, it can be a very critical situation. But we, like with everything else, we have to follow what God says in his word, and we have to be aware of the lies of the enemy as, as we consider all these issues regarding abortion. And God's law, we know, prohibits the death of an innocent one. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's any, any surprise that babies and babies in the womb are pretty innocent, I would say. You know? they, don't, they don't know the world yet, and they're pretty innocent. But, and God has put, again, as we said initially, his image and likeness. And for that reason, God uh, despises the killing of the unborn. And there is an, the other lie is that babies in the womb are just a clump of cells. You know, nothing more. So, you know, it's really not human. And I, I found those images. Uh, I know it's hard to, maybe hard to read what it says, but the one uh, on your left, it says, I am a large clump of cells in solidarity with small clumps of cells. How cute, right? You know, a, 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 an adult saying, you know, I am a, I, I'm a large clump of cells. Of course, it's, you know, it's, it's almost a joke, and, but I, I'm in support of small clumps of cells, you know, all of those beings, un, unborn babies. And then the other one on the other side says that fertilization creates a new distinct living human being. You know, it's a human being. I mean, you, you wouldn't have a dog and think that what's in the dog's belly or womb is not a dog, right? So, you know, why, why think that, that what it's, what's in the womb of a woman is not distinctly human, and, all, and as, as we know, full of the image and likeness of God? And there are, you know, some contradictions that I want to point out uh, are, you know, one is the, a very, you know, in, in our world, Animals have incredible rights. You know, if, if you see now, you know, even if someone harms a dog on the street, they could pay a fine or go to jail for that. You know, animals have rights. And this is one, just one example. Uh, th this is uh, a picture of a bald eagle. And there are laws. It's not endangered anymore, but there are laws in our land that you can be fined or even go to jail for killing an eagle, eagle or doing something that destroys their eggs or their nests. So there are laws in the book that say that. But on the other side, we have laws that allow the killing of unborn babies. That doesn't make any sense. We have uh, incredible technology that allows us to see inside the uterus and follow the development of a baby during those nine months. I mean, incredible. Uh, look, look for them. The, just the beauty of, of 
you know, the sperm uh, reaching the egg and the uh, fertilization happening and the multiplication of cells and what forms the neural tube and the heart and, and when the baby has, uh, feels pain, which is very early, uh, and all those distinct uh, human uh, behaviors and development and features there. You know, it's such an amazing technology to be able to see. And now, you know, in, in my, when I had my babies, uh, um, sonograms, ultrasounds were not readily available. You know, I, I had one for my, our second uh, daughter because I had some issues with the pregnancy, but they were, you know, they were, you, you could not figure out what was going, was happening in there. It was very difficult. Only an expert would know what they were seeing. But now, you, you know, the technology, you can look and see, the, you know, almost the, the, the facial features of a baby, you know, once they're um, uh, big enough. So it's a beautiful technology, and which points clearly, you know, and anybody who sees that has to be amazed about development, of what happens, and how it happens in the, in the perfect order. And it really points out to a hand of a master designer and a constructor and a builder, you know, master designer and a builder. That's what it points to, that, those, that cannot happen without a mind, you know, the heavenly mind guiding the process. But then we have that technology, but we pretend to believe that a fetus is just a clump of cells that lacks uh, human identity and rights. It's, it's a contradiction. And then another contradiction is that we have laws that protect the rights of all people with disabilities, which I, you know, I, I'm a I dedicated 40 years of my professional life to working with children with disabilities, and I'm all for, you know, for their rights to protect, you know, their laws to protect their rights. So I, I'm all for that. I think it's a wonderful thing that we have in this country that doesn't happen in many other countries of the world. So we have laws that protect the rights of all peoples with disabilities, but then the babies, the unborn babies, don't have any rights in the womb. And not only that, you know, if there is any suspicion of, of a, a, um, a fetal anormality that could uh, impact the quality of life of that child later or make it become a burden for their parents, then, you know, professionals insist, present the option of, of abortion and insist that it happen throughout the process. And I can't tell you how many times I've, uh, of, I've known of people, of women, that have had a very negative uh, diagnosis in terms of what was going on with the baby and have been counseled, strongly counseled, repeatedly counseled to abort, that have had their babies. And there have been perfectly normal babies, you know, so, you know, or also when it has been true, the love and the joy of that family, in spite of, of the difficulties, yes, it, it, sometimes it is difficult um, to, you know, that God has redeemed the situation, God has redeemed the love, you know, in those circumstances. Uh, so, you know, we, we need to also declare the rights 
that God gives the unborn children and, and you know, and promote them and, and talk about them. So we have talked about God's heart on abortion and about the deception of the enemy. And my last point, my last viewpoint uh, today is to, to think about what is God calling us to do, you know, personally, each one of us, as a church, as, as a, a community that loves God, what are we to do as believers to respect and defend the unborn? And I think uh, it's an unavoidable call to respect and defend the life of the pre-born. That's, that's a call that we all have as believers. And much has been done. I, I am so grateful for the many people who have dedicated their lives to sacrificially to defend the rights of the, of the unborn. You know, they, we've, many good things have happened, but we have had many losses. That's why we are where we are. But we are not to be discouraged. No, by no means, we are not to be discouraged. We need to continue in this fight. And, we, and it needs to be everyone's fight, not only uh, for a few, but it has to be our fight uh, to protect the unborn. And there's a verse in Proverbs 24, 11, 12. Proverbs 24, 11, 12 says, Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? Wow, that, those are words that convict me and should convict each one of us. We have a role to play in this. And Raquel, if we go back uh, in the slide that starts where you have an essential role to play. Thank you. So I'm just going to briefly cover eight things that you can do, and there are many more that we can all do. First, we start with repentance and prayer. Maybe some of us have had abortions or have counseled others to have abortion, or maybe you're a man that has not been there and has pushed a woman in your life to abort your baby. You know, we need to repent of that. We need to repent of not thinking of this issue and not embracing it as our, as our own. You know, there is a repentance that needs to happen. And then we need to pray. There's a verse in James 5.16 that says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. In spite of what we see with our eyes, we need to continue praying and interceding for the unborn. And we need to, there are so many ways, we need to pray, intercede for those who have made the decision to abort or a decision that has led to abortion. We need to pray for our government officials, for wisdom and for an understanding that their eyes may open up to the reality that this is 
a life, a sanctified life that deserves to live and not to be killed in the altar of convenience. We need to inter intercede for transformed hearts that submit to the Lord and recognize the value that He places in human lives. So there, you know, there's a lot to pray there. Uh, it should be a prayer of every day. And then also we need to commit to a lifestyle of defending the defense, defenseless and being a, vo a voice for the voiceless. That's, that's a big role that we have that we need to embrace. And uh, when I say commitment to a lifestyle that defends the defenseless, of course, I'm talking right now about the unborn, but it goes beyond that. Uh, it's, it's, it's all part of the same. Because we need to be protectors and defenders of anyone who has committed an has been the the victim of an injustice. We need to defend and protect those that are, you know, the, the poor, the the immigrants that you know that are suffering. Anyone who's suffering, the one who is being trafficked sexually. It, there's so much injustice in the world. So it's not, uh, right now, although I'm talking to you about the unborn, think of the issue of life as, as you being a defender of those who need the defense, who don't have a voice that they can uh, speak out and defend themselves. So, uh, you know, I, I encourage you to do that, to, to commit yourselves to be a protector of those who who need it. The other thing is uh, to be an influence over our children and other youth in, in our, you know, in our circle of influence to love and respect life. This is something that is learned at home. You know, we can't wait until a child is, uh, you know, a, a, for adults to speak about these things. We need to influence our children when they are under our care, you know, all of those in our, in our family. Talk to them about the beauty and the value that God gives the hu human life. You know, it should be something, uh, part of our, uh, of our counsel every day and our teaching, of our modeling. Uh, respect and love for those through the continuum of life, from the unborn to the time of death. You know, we need to, to model that uh, respect for life. Teach your children to be not takers, but givers that appreciate and respect all people, you know, regardless of if, if they have, are successful or attractive according to, to the standards of the world. It doesn't, that, that's not the way, or, or if someone is of, can be of benefit to them. So again, let's teach them, teach our children not to be takers, but givers. Children that give of themselves for, for the good of others. And model and teach them to show love for everyone, you know, for, for the poor, for, for the mar marginalized, for those who have developmental disabilities, for the elderly. You know, I, I know that my life was impacted 
by the formation I received in my home. I remember as a, teen, a young teen, I wanted to volunteer uh, in a center uh, where there were institutionalized uh, children that had severe Down syndrome. And my dad would drive an hour, drop me off so I could do my volunteer work, wait for me hours. And, and we're talking about a professional man. He had a, a full-time job and a very demanding one. And then he would pick me up and bring me home. Because for him, it was important that I be able to give to others from the richness that I had received. So that's something that we should consider as families. You know, how are we going to show the love of Christ to those who need it? Uh, because again, it's part of the same issue, the love and respect for life. Another thing that we could do is model sexual purity and talk, up, talk with our children about sexual temptation, about abstinence, about the design of God for marriage. You know, sometimes we allow children to be in our home. They're, they leave for college. They become adults. And maybe we have never sat them down and talked about these issues. So we need to do that. And we need to raise men that are gentlemen that respect women, that, that, you know, honor women. That is learned again in the home. And again, you know, it, what happens in the home is what we generally imitate outside. So let's teach our, our young men, our children, to be gentlemen. And let's teach our daughters to know that their worth does not depend on the admiration of the opposite sex. That has, you know, not much bearing in our value. That, and let's teach all of them that our value, that we have value because God says we have value. That's where our value and our preciousness, to, to use that word, comes from, from what God says about us. Let's teach them that that's what it is. And it's the same for their, their fellow human being, for their neighbor. Those are, they are created in the image and likeness of God. And for that reason, I need to value them. Some, something else, we need to be a voice that promotes foster care and adoption. In our um, church family, there are several families that have adopted and others that have done foster care. What a beautiful thing. You know, maybe even if we're not going to have a foster child or, or adopt a child, but we can be a voice and, a, you know, someone who promotes that in the lives of, of others. Many people are de desire to have a baby that they can call their own, and we don't need to be, you know, killing them. You know, they, those babies could find a home somewhere in a, in a, in a home that loves them. Also, let, we, let us be, or, or let your voice be heard through your vote, you know, considering, you know, what are the values of those that you vote for. Uh, and it should be, you know, values that advance the pro-life values. Also support organizations um, like um, Massachusetts Family Institute, uh, and that, you know, we've had them here in our church uh, uh, preaching, and, and they're a wonderful organization, a pro-life organization. And also, you know, there are some uh, crisis pregnancy centers. There's one 
pretty close to here. It's called uh, the Boston Center for Pregnancy Choices. As a matter of fact, the, the card that you received today as you entered is from them. And it's a wonderful organization. It, it, it helps in so many different ways. And so, you know, I, I, I encourage you, support them financially uh, as a volunteer. Uh, pray for them, for people who, who are out there doing this wonderful work and helping and assisting, embracing those that are going through uh, crisis pregnancies. And most importantly, as, as we close, surround women in crisis pregnancies with the love of Christ. That's the most important thing that we, have, we can do. Fully embrace them uh, without condemnation because God loves them. And uh, accompany them in their journey. Fill their practical needs, you know, Many people, they need practical things. Uh, the Boston Center for Pregnancy Choices and other places like that, they also do showers, you know, baby showers. But, you know, it's the churches that organize. We did one here about a year ago. What a beautiful thing to have this young lady come and be ministered by us uh, through the love of Christ by providing in her practical needs. Also, you know, share the richness of the gospel with these women. Uh, you know, that brings hope and forgiveness. And let's not forget those who have had an abortion, you know, that, that they not be condemned by us. You know, we, that's something we should never do. But embraced and loved in a way that they receive the message of forgiveness and hope that they so desperately need. And again, there are uh, places where the, um, these people can get counsel and they can, you know, speak personally with someone who can help them in this process of repentance and forgiveness. I know people who've gone through that process and what a beautiful thing. The transformation is amazing in the countenance, in the, in the uh, desire to seek God when, when they know of the message of the gospel, that there is forgiveness, that abortion is not the unpardonable sin. You know, God does forgive, and so let's always be carriers of that message. And as we close, let's revisit the mandate of Deuteronomy 30. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and Lord we thank you thank you for your word thank you for your presence in our lives Thank you for thinking of each one of us. We are here because you spoke us into existence. You created us. From the beginning to the end, you are with us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the preciousness of your presence. 
Lord, I ask for your forgiveness for those who have had an abortion. You know their need. And you're so willing, so willing to bring forgiveness, to give your forgiveness, and to put in them the joy of your salvation. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in every womb, for the way you knit us together, for the purpose that you have ordained for each one of us. Lord, I ask that you use us to be your voice in this generation. Lord, in your name, we cancel the culture of death in regards to the unborn and many other issues. Forgive our nation, Lord. Lord, that we repent fully. That our heart be broken for what breaks your heart, Lord. You are so gracious, Lord, that even those of us that have gone astray and that have been disobedient and disrespectful to your creation, even then, Lord, you are so willing to shower your grace and your love and your forgiveness. And Lord, I ask that this house always speak of that forgiveness for all, and especially in this case of those who have aborted their babies. That women and men also can come here and receive the counsel that they need. Lord, make us a voice for this generation. Lord, we want, don't want to pass on this legacy of death, Lord. That we understand the seriousness of this. That we speak constantly of what's in your heart in terms of the purpose of your creation, Lord. Bless us, Lord, as, as we depart from here. Bless us. I ask, Lord, that you use this message today to make people educate themselves more in terms of this issue of life that's so close to your heart, Lord. And that we be found faithful, Lord, by obeying your laws, by being sensitive to your hearts, and by being a voice in this generation to protect those that cannot protect themselves and who don't have a voice, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray.